0: Let us turn once again in God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel 21, and let us hear the living Word of the living God. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread at hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here." And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence, shall this fellow come into my house? Amen. May God bless to us his word. Well, it seems a long time since David was anointed to be king. His emergence on the national scene in his dramatic triumph over Goliath. Where is that now? Because David now is on the run. Saul's hatred and murderous intent have left him with no option, humanly speaking. David must get away from Saul. And if things look bleak as this chapter opens with David on the run, it ends with David in an even worse condition, pretending to be a madman as spittle runs down his beard. What is going on in this chapter? Where are the promises of God to David now? What did the anointing of David as king mean after all. And some of us may be ending the year feeling a little bit like that. Maybe the year hasn't been what we had hoped. Maybe the year has brought more sorrow than joy. Well, if we are in David's position, this passage, this chapter, says two things at least to us. It reminds us that our lives ultimately have a Christ-shaped pattern. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief before he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And that same pattern that the Lord Jesus Christ had, all of his disciples also have. Suffering precedes glory. And David here in this chapter, as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, shows us that so, so clearly. So if we are closing this year with the words we often sing as the confession of our heart, mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood, through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. Then this passage says to us, yes, that is hard. But know this, in your sorrow, your life is a Christ-shaped life. You are being conformed to the image of your Savior. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. So this passage says to us in sorrow and in suffering, remember, you are entering into the life of Christ. But the second thing this passage says to us is God is faithful. The great character in all the historical passages in the Bible is not David, is not Elijah, is not Moses, it is always God. And here, what we have in this chapter is God providing for and delivering his servant David. Things may look bleak in David's life, but God is here. And so it remains true. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they provide for me. And we'll look really at this faithfulness of God in this chapter this morning. And we'll focus on that lesson with just two points. First, in faithfulness, God provides verses one to nine. And then in faithfulness, God delivers. Verses 10 to 15. God provides and God delivers. So first, verses 1 to 9 and God's provision. David here has fled. Jonathan has informed him of Saul's unremitting hatred of him. And so off David goes. He goes to Nob, which in chapter 22 is called the City of the Priests. Perhaps David thinks, I might be safe here for a while amongst those who serve the Lord. And certainly, David wants the priests to inquire of the Lord for him, as we're told again in chapter 22. David wants to know what God's will is for him in all this suffering. But David, as he appears in Nob, has the distinct look of a fugitive. And so the high priest, Ahimelech, when he sees David, he he trembles. He he senses that something is wrong with David. And so he asks, David, verse 1, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? How, How can you, David, in your exalted position in the land of Israel, among the military greats of the nation, be traveling alone? The high priest sees this and he says, it just doesn't make sense. And then David, rather than trust the Lord, rather than trust the integrity of the high priest, he, he falls into deception. David did this in the previous chapter. With Jonathan, he concocted a story about going to Bethlehem for a feast to deceive Saul. And he does the same here. He pretends to the high priest that he is on a secret mission for Saul And a pattern of sin is emerging in David's life. Not a little consequence, seemingly the first time. But David's deception here is going to have serious consequences. That will only emerge in the next chapter when the high priest, Ahimelech, is killed. Old Testament narrative seldom stops to give moral evaluation. It rather shows us the moral rightness or wrongness of actions by their consequences. And chapter 22 shows us how bad what David was doing here really was in his deception of the high priest. But now having told his lie, David goes on to ask the priest for food. He says, verse 3, what do you have at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. David truly is a man on the rung. He has nothing. He lacks his daily bread. Gone are the days of feasting at the table of the king. In place of that now is hunger and emptiness. Ahimelech is willing to help, but there's a problem that emerges. He only has holy bread, verse 4. He says to David, I'm willing to give this to you. If only you and the men who are apparently with you are ceremonially clean, that is if they've abstained from sexual relations. David, verse 5, persists in his lies. He, he assures Ahimelech that he and his men are clean. And so, verse 6, the priest gives him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence. And this might all seem a little bit strange. Here is David on the run. He's telling the high priest a bunch of lies. Then there's this incident about the bread and strange ceremonies. Does this really have anything to teach us today? Well, it does. And this incident over the bread is one of the most instructive incidents we have to teach us the very character of our gracious and merciful God, and as we look at this, Ahimelech is right. there is a problem. He should not give this bread to David. before him is a hungry man, and there is a provision of bread. but according to the law, David should not have it. Leviticus 24, 9 says, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons. They shall eat it in a holy place. It is a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings. This bread, this provision is not for a man on the run. But in the story here, David, for all his faults, is given the bread. And that isn't because the high priest is unconcerned about God's law. He seeks clarification, at least that David is ceremonially clean. Ahimelech isn't unconcerned about God's law. Rather, he gives David the bread. He breaks God's law because he understands God. And therefore, he understands God's law. What this passage is saying to us is that God's law is not first about the tithing of mint and cumin. God's law is first. As Jesus says in Matthew 23, the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what we have here is a laying aside the ceremonial requirements of God's law the bread is for priests, to keep the moral requirements of God's law, to love a neighbor, even a sinful neighbor who is in great need. And Himelech's actions show that he is a man who understands who the God of the law is. The God who says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Has the Lord as great delight in ceremonies as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What we have here is the high priest obeying the greater command to care for a sinful man in need than to trifle over ceremonies. And Ahimelech, in doing that, shows us the heart of God. And that's the point that Jesus himself makes from this very chapter in Matthew 12 that we read earlier. There the Pharisees were concerned that Jesus' disciples were breaking the Sabbath because they plucked some ears of corn as they were hungry and walking through the grain fields. And in response, Jesus says to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And Jesus is telling us that Ahimelech understood fundamentally that the law's intention was mercy and love to neighbor. And to do to others as we would have them do to us. And he understood that was the great call of the law. Because it is the law of God whose tender mercies are over all his works. So what this passage does in all of its seeming strangeness is expose the heart of the Pharisee. Now, it's not wrong that Pharisees were concerned about the minutiae of the law. We should all be concerned about the least of God's commandments because they are the commandments of God. No, the problem with the Pharisee is that their understanding of God's commandments are detached from who God is himself. They are detached from God's holiness, which condemns us all as sinners. And the Pharisee's understanding of the law is detached from God's grace and mercy and kindness. A Pharisee is someone who tries to apply the letter of the law apart from the spirit of the law. And so ironically ends up overturning the whole law. The ultimate problem of the Pharisee that Jesus highlights from this chapter is that the Pharisee does not understand the law. Because he does not know the God of grace. So the first thing that this seemingly incidental passage tells us is the great, great message. Behold the God of grace and kindness. Behold the God of covenant love and mercy who desires mercy, not sacrifice. But we can also see something much more simple from this incident. That we can trust God to provide for us our daily bread. You know, here is David probably feeling that all God's promises have come to nothing. Wondering whether God has forgotten to be gracious. Thinking all my circumstances are against me. And yet here God just provides for David what he needs his daily bread. And so this chapter tells us, however bad our circumstances seem, we can trust God to provide what we need. As Psalm 111 says, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. But as well as being hungry here in 1 Samuel 21, David is defenseless, So having received the bread, he asks, verse 8, Have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons. The king's business requires haste. David is persisting in his lies. But what a gracious response he receives. Ahimelech gives him not just a weapon, but a remarkable reminder of God's favor. Verse 9, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. The sword of Goliath. You know how distant the memory of that great day might have seemed to David. But here is the very sword of Goliath, now his. And so verse 9, David says, there's none like it, give it to me. And and again, here we see the overwhelming kindness of God to his erring servant. Everything seems against David. David himself is falling into sin, but now is given to him this visible reminder of how God has been with him in the past. And now everywhere David goes, every time he sees the sword by his side, he has that memento of the day. God used him so mightily. He has this token that the God who delivered Goliath into his hand is still with him, even as David is fleeing for his life. Behold the kindness of God, and behold the God who provides. But as well as that kindness of God, there's a dark shadow that emerges in these verses. While God in grace is providing for David his daily bread and his means of defense, there is this shadowy figure in verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Doeg here in this chapter is clearly being presented as a, a bad faith actor in this whole scene. We're told that he's the servant of Saul. David is on the run for his very life from Saul. We're told he's an Edomite, the descendants of Esau, enemies of Israel. And we're told that he is important to Saul, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And so while God provides, these verses tell us we still live in a world marred by sin. And we will see the disaster that Doeg brings in the next chapter. David's deception of Ahimelech is not without its consequences. Doeg will be the instrument of that. So while God provides in all of his grace, that never gives us free reign to sin. But the great note of these verses is God in grace gives us all that we need. He gives us our daily bread. He provides our defense for us. And so often when we are at our lowest, he graciously reminds us of how good he has been to us in the past. And so as we end this year, we can be assured that the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever will still, whatever our circumstances say, provide all that we need. Behold the God who provides Then second, verses 10 to 15, the God who delivers. The scene moves on quickly from the priestly town of Nob. David, the anointed king of Israel, strangely flees into enemy territory. Verse 10, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And this is clearly the act of a man who is just at the end of his wits. David is blind to everything else other than this one thought. I just need to get away from Saul. I need to be where Saul is not king, where he cannot persecute me, where he cannot follow me. But David, you're going to Gath, the land of the Philistines. David, this is a people you are famous for defeating and killing. 1 Samuel 18 The princes of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. David, you're going to the place where you are famous for defeating, destroying, and killing these very people. And and David, you're not just going to any part of Philistine territory. You're going to Gath. The city of Goliath, the thing that you are most famous for. And what is by your side? You've got the sword of the giant. That famous weapon, everyone there will know. What's going on in David's head? Well, Psalm 56 that we sang earlier, that Psalm David writes at the very time of this incident, just tells us how distressed... David was. Verse 8 of that psalm. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? David, as we have him here, can't sleep. He asks God to keep count of how he's tossing and turning in the night. He's so weighed down by everything, he can't sleep. And he's crying and weeping. Over the situation he finds himself in. The strong warrior of Israel. God put my tears in a bottle. They are so many. David just feels that nothing is right in his life. He can't think straight. And so he runs off to the enemies of God's people. Perhaps just hoping that he can be viewed as a deserter of the Lord's cause. And be left alone in peace and quiet. But whatever drove David to Gath, a quiet life was not to be his. And so verse 11, the servant of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing? Saul struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You know, it's interesting, they call David the king of the land. And as David heard that, what a hard reminder that must have been to him in all his trouble and sorrow. Yes, God had promised that I would be king, but look at me now, fleeing for my life, unable to sleep, tears flowing. I am neither in fact nor in circumstance the king of Israel. But despite David's circumstances now, his reputation had gone before him. He was recognized as the tormentor of the Philistines. And that being recognized seems to have been the final straw for David. He may have Goliath's sword by his side. He may have that reminder that God is able to deliver him, however great the enemy. But verse 12, David took these words to heart. And was much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And that's the only place where we are told David is afraid because of the threats made against him. This is as low as David can go. But again, it's here that Psalm 56 is so instructive. And before we go on in the story to see what happens next, it's important we hear Psalm 56 verses 3 and 4, because David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So what does David do here as he is taken captive in Gath in the land of the Philistines? As after sorrow and crying, Fear has overwhelmed his heart. What does Psalm 56 tell us that he does? I put my trust in you. In the time of his greatest fear, at his lowest point, he turns again to his God and puts his trust in him. And because in all of his sorrow and grief and fear he turns to God, he receives the strength to say, Psalm 56, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Even as he is that captive of the Philistines, he is able to rest his life once again in the sovereign care of his God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And it's from that insight in Psalm 56 we can see what David does next in its proper light. David in faith sees a way of escape. He sees that if he feigns madness, if he feigns illness, he might be let free. He thinks that his captors might believe he has strayed into Gath because he has gone mad. And really, what other explanation could there be? So verse 13, he pretends to be insane in their hands. He made marks on the doors of the gate and lets his spittle run down his beard. And of course, there is irony here. Saul, the king of Israel, truly has bouts of madness from the evil spirit. And here is David, the sane man, the king in exile, pretending to be mad. And David's plan worked. Achish the king of Gath sees David and says, behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? And so David goes free. And again, there's irony there in Achish saying, I've got so many madmen around me because his men have just showed their foolishness and being deceived by a simple act of David. And so David's trust in God was restored at the hour of his greatest fear. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. And so he leaves the city of Goliath, a free man, unharmed. And he ascribes all of his deliverance to God. Psalm fifty six thirteen. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. And so for you again, I don't know what challenges you face this past year. Or what challenges the year ahead are going to hold. But even if you find yourself a captive of the Philistines. In the deepest fear that you will ever experience in your life. See the example of David. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And we can do that knowing that the God who delivered David can deliver us too, so that we, like David, will walk before God in the light of life. So this chapter says, God provides and God delivers. But as we close Just consider again how low David sinks in this chapter before his release. Here is the man who is the anointed king of Israel. Here is the man after God's own heart. Here is the sweet psalmist of Israel. And look at him. He is feigning madness. He is scratching at a door. His own spittle is running down his beard. Behold your king, people of God. And this scene with David at his lowest is meant to carry us forward to the greater king than David, to point us to one who underwent a greater humiliation that we might be provided with a greater deliverance, a deliverance from the great enemy of sin and death and judgment. Because far greater than David's descent here into the valley of humiliation and untainted by David's sin, we see Jesus. Jesus was mocked as a madman. He was thought to be delusional because he proclaimed that he was king. Matthew 27, they put a scarlet robe on him and a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, Jesus, you are a madman. And spittle ran down Jesus' beard, not even his own spit but the spit of others, Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-nine, and they spat on him. But in all the depths of the valley of humiliation that Jesus endured, in all the agony of the cross, Christ retained his trust in his God and in his Father. It remained, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end, Luke 23, it was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The greater than David has greater humiliation than David here, but he also can say more powerfully, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. And so ultimately, 1 Samuel 21 says to us, Because Jesus endured that ultimate humiliation. You are provided for in every way. Philippians 4.19, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And this passage says to us that it's because Jesus endured the humiliation of the cursed death of the cross that we can rejoice in deliverance greater than David did. You have delivered my soul from death. So this year may have been hard. 2024 is unknown to us. But this we do know. Because Jesus came and became an exile for us. Because he endured the greatest humiliation for us. Whatever is ahead, our God is the God who provides. And the God who delivers. Amen.